Turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Kings, the fourth chapter this morning, 2 Kings chapter 4, and we'll be in that, we'll be in that chapter for the entire message. Some years ago, my dad came to live with us. He was having some health challenges at the time, and it just seemed right before the Lord and everyone that he would come and we would care for him. So he lived in our home for a moment, and then we decided that we would build him a cottage right beside ours. It's connected with a breezeway, and, and so we worked very hard. My wife is really good with these things, and she drew out these little plans, and what we didn't realize is we were doing tiny house before tiny house was cool. But we did it right, you know, wide doorways, no thresholds, pocket doors, really thinking ahead of everything that we could do to make this place comfortable for him. We, we brought up as much furniture as we could fit in there that was his, and we, we really worked to make this his space. Painting the inside green, which is his favorite color, everything that we could do. Now, some years later, a few years, few years ago, my dad's health situation changed again, and he had to move to a different situation, but he's still alive. But we still had this cottage that's sitting there. This cottage is situated in a way that it kind of outlook, overlooks the Shenandoah Valley. It's quite, a, it's quite a nice little spot. Some of you are saying, can I rent it for the weekend? No. <laughs> but we have made this space available for many folks that come from out of the country and they need a, a moment. And we've had this amazing young woman that we have more or less invited into our family from Germany. She's a missionary there. And she has been with us for this past week as we've had an event here at Grace. And we always ask her, and this is the third or fourth year she's been with us, what can we do to make, make this more comfortable for you? And so we ask her, what foods are you not getting in Germany that you miss as an American? And so she always says, well, a gooey cake. All right, we can fix that. And so we work overtime to make this a space that she can call home while she's here. David looked around, 2 Samuel. It says as he was settled in his palace, it says the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in the palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. The ark of God, this box, had some you know, some stuff in it, Aaron's rod and some of the manna, and it represented the presence of God. David realized that everything that he had in that moment that he was able to enjoy was as a result of that which God had done for him. And he had everything that you and I would want, wealth and peace from our enemies. He had rest. And yet something in him could not really fully enjoy that which God had provided for him until he himself had provided a place for God. Now, as we read on, we realize that the motivation, the heart that David had to prepare a place for God that he himself was not able to do. God said, you've been a man of war. You've shed too much blood, but your son, Solomon, He's the one to build this amazing temple for me. But yet it was 
the motivation and yes, the preparation that David had made that allowed his son Solomon to be able to provide something that had its genesis in the heart of David. This past week here at Grace Covenant Church, we've had the privilege of hosting our very first Every Nation School of Prophecy. Yep. And we believe God speaks to us today. Aren't we glad of that? And God assembled some amazing men and women literally from around the planet to come and we labored together, we, 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 we came together, we sharpened each other's swords, and I was so inspired being around these men and women of God who in their place, in their lives, you can tell that they have carved out a unique place for the presence of God in their life. Saints, let me tell you, you need to get around some people that spur you on to those kinds of things right there. How many of you were able to attend the prophetic conference over the weekend? There we go. Tremendous time in God. And I began to ponder this and asking myself the question afresh, what space have I made for God in my life? Like David, I've carved out a lot of space for me. I have a comfortable home. I have a comfortable automobile. I have relative wealth compared to most of the world. Peace and rest for the most part. Life is good. LG, life is good. And while we may have some nuances around our life that aren't exactly what we'd like for them to be, for the most part, I think we'd have to say life's pretty good. And yet... Something in me continues to ask that question, where is the place you'll build for me? I've entitled this message this morning, Making Space, Rooms, Wombs, and Tombs. We look in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, we see Elisha, the prophet Elisha. Now, in the Old Testament, we see certain what's known as types and shadows, things that point, if you wish, into new covenant realities. I heard one teacher say that the Old Testament is Christ concealed, the New Testament Christ revealed. And we see in the prophet Elisha a type of Jesus. And we pick up a story in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 8. That the prophet Elisha, in his journeys from one place to the next, he would occasionally stop. And there was a woman there, it says she was well-to-do, a Shunammite. And he would stay there for a meal. And whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof. They put it in a bed and a table, a chair, a lamp, and then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. You know, it's interesting that, again, we go to quite a bit of expense and quite a bit of time. We watch Fixer Upper to figure out if Joanna's going to put in another farmhouse sink and <laughs> concrete countertops. I mean, if Joanna's not doing it, you know, we shouldn't do it either. And so we go to quite a bit, 
quite a bit of, 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 of trouble, expense, if you wish, to worry about and get our own space right. But this woman, it says that she wanted to make a place that whenever the man of God would come by, there was a place that was unique for him. Now, in this part of the world at this time, when you added on, you didn't go out, you went up. And the reality is the best spots were higher because you could catch some breeze. And so this was like the best room in the house when you put one up on a roof. And I'm fascinated at the level of detail that Scripture records here. I'm always fascinated by what God chooses to include in Scripture. You ever wondered why certain books are there? Why did God choose to put that? Of all of the, of all of the writings that did not make it in the canon of Scripture, why this? And we see that she goes to some detail to be sure she didn't just build a roof and four walls, but she furnished it. First thing she says that was there, there was a bed. What does the bed represent? Rest. It's real simple. A place to sleep. Isaiah 66, God asked this question, where is the house you'll build? Where will my resting place be? Let me ask you a question. Can God be at rest with you? Let me tell you, we invite God in when the storms are blowing, when we're having a 911 moment, when our bodies are in pain and our pocketbooks are empty. I mean, we'll bring God into the turbulence of our life, but will we bring God into our life in a place of peace and safety. The dove descending upon Jesus at his baptism. Something I've noticed about birds, they don't tend to light on moving objects. Birds want to come down on the stationary objects where they feel what? Safe and secure. It's very interesting. We practice the presence by learning to be still. By learning to be at rest. And we prepare that place for God. It says there was a lamp there. That lamp representing the word of God. Psalm, the psalmist writes in 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. One of the ways that we make a place for God is by making a place for God's word. You've heard Pastor Brett say up here every week, read your Bible every day. Once again, we just came out of a, quote, prophetic school, a prophetic conference. And yet the normative way that God still speaks to you and to me is through the illumination and the living word that he's given us between those covers. We want to make a place for God. You first got to make a place for his word. Why is that? Because God cannot be separated from his word. And then it says she put a chair there. You look at what a chair is. You know, you put a chair, a, a, a table out. Generally, there's one chair at the head of the table. And it's real clear. This is a different chair than the rest of them. The person who is the guest of honor, the person who is in charge, always sits where? At the head of the table. You know what that chair represents in Scripture? A throne. Let me give you a real simple principle. Only one person sits in a chair at one time. 
For many of us, we may have a chair, but we're sitting in it. You know what I've learned about God? When you're sitting on the throne, he's not. It's real simple. And we may not declare ourselves Lord and King, but let me just tell you, we declare ourselves in charge over certain areas of our life. Most of the time, it's the ones that are going pretty well. When we got money in the bank, I'm sitting on the throne of my money. When I don't have any, I invite Jesus to sit on that throne (laughs) of my lack of money. Come on. Okay, God, I blew it up. You fix it. We love it. Oh, Jesus, you're in charge now. But the question is, even when things are good, can we get out of that chair and leave that chair empty and available for him? That's what that chair represents. And the table, the table is a place where food is served. The disciples running around trying to find a McDonald's. Man, we got to feed. We got to feed Big J. We got to get him some food in here. It's Lent. We can get him a fish sandwich. It'll be good. It'll be fine. Jesus said, boys, just settle down. It's fine because I've got food you don't know anything about. You see, there's some food that God wants to set out on that table, that spiritual food. We're so worried about the loaves and the fishes, and God is saying, you know what? (laughs) I am that bread. This is the table you need to be eating off of. It's not a table of finances, not a a table of resource. It's me. It's why we celebrated this table this morning, the communion, the Eucharist. It celebrates what real food and what real drink is that Christ has intended. Have we gone to that same detail to furnish that room the way this Shunammite widow did? Or this Shunammite woman, rather. She took some time. She thought it through. And I don't believe that this was a multi-purpose family room. With the 60-inch big screen and the, and the exercise machine in the corner. I mean, no, 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 no. I think this room was separate and set apart. This is a place just for the prophet when he comes. Let me ask you, as you look at your to-do list and your daytimer and your life, have you built a place that is unique just for God? Oh, we'll, we'll invite God into the business of our own life. We want him there. But somewhere we've got to build something that's separate and unique for him. It starts with a room. But then something else happens. Do you realize that we can build in such a way that God will come to us? You know, we learn to ask. There's nothing wrong with asking. We're told to ask. Elisha's there one day, he's kicked out on that bed. He looks at his servant Gehazi, he says, man, this woman has done right by us. This is nice. Go find out if we can. So he calls her in and says, is there anything I can do for you? Can I speak to maybe the head of the, head of the government or you know, maybe get you a tax break or you know, get you some security in here? Or, is there anything that I can do? She says, no, I'm good. I've got a home among my people fascinating. If you'll build a room for God, God will approach you. 
Scripture says, seek first the kingdom and righteousness. What does it say? And all these other things will be added. But it begins with a priority of putting Christ at the very center. You can only have, listen, you have multiple priorities. That is a contradiction of terms. You can only have one. And the reality is, when we build in a certain way, when we make Christ the first and the center, that all of a sudden God will say, wow, Christopher's really serious about this thing. And then God will come and say, son, what can I do for you? Man, I tell you, that will turn our relationship and it will turn our intercession upside down. Is rather than us just coming to God like, I need, I need, I need. We come to God and just say, I just want to be available. I just want to be a space and a place for you. Amazing. And then Gehazi says she's advanced in years and they don't have children. He says, call her back. And he gives her a word that we trained all of our folk this week not to do it this way. He swung for the fences. He says, this time, next year, timing, you will hold a son in your arms. Now, that's a prophetic word. This woman's been through IVF. She's been in the $20 healing line. She's been to a Benny Hinn meeting. She has done everything she knows what to do, and her womb is closed. And the prophet says, this time next year, you're going to have a child, and it's going to be a boy. Now, most of us would say, yes, not her. She said, don't mess with me. <laughs> what does it say in the Bible? It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, there's certain things that even when God approaches us and says, son and daughter, what can I do for you? Because of time and disillusionment and disappointment, we don't even answer him anymore. Well, you know what? It ain't going to happen again. I ain't going to ask again. And yet, by the grace of God, this particular prophet pulled it out. But her response was one of pain. Don't mess with me. And then sure enough, it says in the word that she had that child. You know, it's an interesting thing. Many of us wonder why we can't conceive the purposes of God. Let me give you at least two thoughts. The first is there's something in our spiritual wombs, if you wish, that shouldn't be there. Years ago, my pastor and his wife tried to have a third child. And she had a condition called fibroid tumors, whereby which her developing baby would get so big and then there was not enough room and she would abort. And one morning they were praying together and they had done everything they knew what to do. There were no medical options. They had prayed. These were great folks. And God said, curse the tumors. Okay? Curse the tumors. And they cursed the tumors in her womb. They dissolved and she carried her last child all the way to term. His name is John Michael. He grew up with my son. They were best buddies. There was something that was there that didn't need to be there that God needed to remove 
so she could carry to term. Some of you are carrying some stuff that's illegal. It's not supposed to be there. And you need to declare war on it and watch Jesus remove it so that you can bring to term that which has been conceived on the inside of you. But there's a second thing that's a little bit more obvious. You can't get pregnant if you are pregnant. You know, we look at the miracle of God choosing Mary to bring forth the Son of God. We wonder sometimes, what was, what was so amazing about this woman? Well, at the top of the list, she was a virgin. Her womb was available. And for some of us, we wonder, God, why are your purposes not coming forth in my life? He says, because you're already pregnant with your own plans and purposes. And you don't have to know much about human reproduction to know that you can't get pregnant if you are pregnant. And some of us have allowed ourselves to be conceived with our own ideas and plans of what this thing is supposed to be. And we wonder why we think we're barren. We're not barren. We're already pregnant. Mm. Are you pregnant with what God wants you pregnant with this morning? But then an amazing thing happens. This boy grows up. We know he's old enough to be able to run and find his dad. His dad is out with, says the reapers, the harvesters. And he has a moment and he grabs his head. Something happens. And like all good dads, when their child is in pain, they carry him to mama. Dads don't know what to do with that. All dads know what to do is walk it off. <laughs> but the boy sits on his mom's lap and it says around midday, he died. What is this all about? Imagine this. I wasn't asking for this. God himself came, he gave me this boy, and now he's dead. What is this? But watch what happens. She takes her son's corpse. Where does she take it? To the very room she had built years before. The room that had become a womb had now become a tomb. She knew exactly where to place the body of her dead promise. She summons Elisha. And Elisha comes. He does an amazing thing. He closes the door. They'd already sent Gehazi on ahead. Gehazi had laid his staff, laid Elisha's staff on the boy. He didn't come to life. Sometimes you can't send somebody else. Only God can do what God can do. And he got in that room and he closed the door. And Elisha says he laid down on the boy, mouth to mouth, face to face, breath to breath. And he breathed life back into him the same way that God breathed life into the first man. Elisha breathed life into this dead boy. And they came out of that room and Elisha handed her resurrected son back to the Shunammite. Tell you an amazing thing about God. Many times those very things God conceives will seemingly die. 
He loved Lazarus. That wasn't the issue. But God had a higher purpose that day. That's why he held back a while. Why weren't you here? Thought you loved us. You guys just don't get it yet, do you? Peter, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. We've been waiting. Generations have been waiting for you to come. This will never happen. You still don't get it. And the amazing thing many times is a paradox that these places are all one and the same. I was thinking about this coming into Easter. There was a man of some wealth. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. Loved Jesus. Took his body, wrapped him in linen. And it says that a new tomb, obviously one that he had bought for his, his own family. It says he laid Jesus in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. How many of you think that when Joseph of Arimathea provided that tomb, that he knew what was coming next? He didn't. And yet, what's an amazing thing is that by finding a place for the resting place of the one, it set in motion life for the rest of us. He had no idea in that moment when he made that place. Seemingly always something that represents death. It represents the end. It represents, yes, a place of honor. But he had no idea that that resting place would become the beginning of new life for the rest of us. Many times you have no idea that the place you're providing, you have no idea of the new life that Christ intends to bring forth as a result of that very same place. All we look and we say, it's dead, that's the end of it. God says, you don't understand, it's just the beginning. I tell you, I've learned something over the years. Dreams have a dream cycle. And it's not just the birth and delivery of a dream. It's the death and resurrection of the dream. And at any given moment, you're going to be in one of those places where it's being conceived, it's being born, it's growing up. Either it's died or you're waiting for resurrection or it's been resurrected. And we all find ourselves in one of those places at any given time. But let me just tell you, he's a God of resurrection. But we never know many times that that very place that we thought was just a place that we were accommodating, God coming through. We had no idea what story would unveil as a result of making a place. Amazing. And could I say to you, when that Shunammite, was choosing colors at the Home Depot. Picking out furniture. Driving her husband nuts with the options. She had no idea the series of miracles that it was going to set in motion. What have I said today? John 14, Jesus' words. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, 
Because I'm going there to do what? Prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back and I'll take you there. He's made a place for us. Have you made a place for him? Have you built for God? Are you only building for the occasional visitation or are you building for habitation? Because what God will visit, God will not necessarily live there. Changes. Have you built something? Are you available for the plans and purposes of God to be freshly conceived in your life? What's in your spiritual womb, so to speak, that doesn't need to be there? Or are you in need of the resurrection power of God today? Maybe your marriage, maybe something in your body, maybe your finances. And the place where the promises were conceived is very likely the very place they'll be resurrected. Pray with me.